Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today is a throwback to 2019, episode 523, when we talked to Rowan Smith about training. And since we had this episode, uh, Rowan has started a podcast, which he actually talked about in this episode, called uh, Training for Trekking, the Training for Trekking podcast. And uh, it's all about how to get ready for you know a, a hike or, or trekking or backpacking based adventure. You know, if you're getting ready for something like this, you might be thinking, you know, should I do more cardio? Should I do more muscle? Should I do more flexibility? How do I avoid injury? You know, how do I get ready for something that's maybe I'm hiking for a week, but I work, you know, a full-time job or two full-time jobs. You know, there's a lot of us putting in some crazy hours out there. How do you fit it all in? Well, Rowan's going to teach you how to do that. He's got a lot of great information in this episode and also in his podcast. So check it out. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Today, uh, we're, we're covering a topic that is definitely something I need to work on. I don't typically, I, I in the past, I used to not train so much and let my body just kind of take a brutal beating every trip, but I was younger then. I'm not so young now, and I got to really be diligent about preparing myself, and today we have Rowan Smith that's going to come in and help us do that. Rowan, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome, man. Where are you coming from today? I'm coming from Sydney, Australia this morning. That is awesome. I bet it's nice and warm. Yeah, it's looking like it's a nice day outside, so I might be popping down the beach after this. (laughs) Not bad at all. Awesome. That's fantastic. So yeah, man. So tell us about, uh, tell us about your company, Summit Strength and what you do. Yeah. So basically what I do is, um, Summit Strength is a personal training service, which specializes in, um, preparing hikers, trekkers, um, and backpackers for their bucket list adventures, basically. So for a lot of the people I deal with, the people are going out on these big adventures. So things like they might be going over to Nepal for the Himalayas. They might be doing their first, um, you know, going up Kilimanjaro and trying to climb up that or doing their first multi-day trek. Right. And basically people come to see me just to sort of get that real confidence in their physical performance and also just get on top of the injury sides of things so they can go out and not only complete these adventures, but actually be in a position where they can thoroughly enjoy the process and not just be dragging their feet the whole way and just praying for the end in all honesty. Wow. Now, do you think there's a lot of that in the adventure world? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I know, I think one of the big things in the adventure world is you hear a lot of stories of people, people love to talk about their experiences where they'll go on these massive uh, trips and they'll say, look, I didn't do any training. I just turned up and I rolled through it. I got through it absolutely fine. Or if you're talking about going up on a mountain and altitude, they'll be like, look, I didn't need to worry about altitude. It's no dramas at all. And they might've gone through it fine, but they're the lucky few. And when normal everyday people listen to this advice, they sort of maybe underestimate what's really needed in these types of things and that's when they get themselves into trouble and you know a lot of these things you can sort of drag yourself through um you know in the worst case scenario but in my eyes if you're going out for this amazing adventure and sometimes it's even a life once in a lifetime experience i would definitely want to be in a position where you know you can take it all in you can actually look back fondly as opposed to just being something you just ticked off your box mm, okay nice i see so what what are some of the things you start advising somebody that approaches you and say, hey, I want to do this in like six months? Where where do you start with them? 
So usually like when people come to see me, most people have a general idea of, look, I've got to go out and like I mainly work with hikers and trekkers. So they're like thinking, look, I just got to go out and start walking and hiking, which is absolutely great. And it should be part of every preparation program. But they also overlook like a lot of other factors. So one of the big ones that I deal with is sort of the injury prevention side of things. So, you know, maybe 80% of the hikers I talk to, they've all got some type of thing they work through. So, you know, hikers need such a massive issue. They might get foot pain, they might get back pain. But the thing with like the injuries that are around these sports is they're not really so bad that they would stop you doing something. So people tend to just ignore them and they're like, you know what, that's just part of the sport. I'm just going to push through and it never really gets better and it's only going get, to get worse. So a lot of the stuff I do in the initial stages of preparation is really trying to um, get people's bodies moving in a nice and safe way. So it's not going to put undue stress on these joints later on. Like, for example, like with the hiker's knee, like, you know, about 80% of people come to see me will get knee pain when they're going down a descents. And particularly when you're doing the mountain climbs, cause you know, there's a lot of hours walking downhill there. Um, and that usually stems from, you know, either a lack of mobility in a couple of muscles or a lack of strength in a couple of muscles. And as much as, you know, pain and everything's relatively complicated process, like just working on those key things can really make a big difference long-term for the enjoyability and also, you know, long-term, uh, long, 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 yeah, longevity in the actual sport. Mm, okay. No, I, I see. So you, when someone approaches you, are they typically in pain? And, and if so, what are some of the things that you do? Do you strengthen, like you said, the, the muscles kind of around that joint, try to rebalance something? How, what does it usually look like? Yeah. So like if, for example, I will stick with a knee pain example, like nine times out of 10, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Cause I have bad knee pain and you know, I, I want to <laughs> yeah. get some answers. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And I, yeah, I deal with that every single day. And you know, obviously any type of acute or like serious pain should be dealt with like a physiotherapist or physical therapist, but most people don't like, they're just suffering through their day-to-day -day hiking and not really at that stage where they need that direct intervention. But like what I usually, what usually comes down to is it'll either be a, a tightness in the ankle joint or the hip joint. So above and below the joint. And what that does is those joints in everyday life, they want to be relatively mobile and the ones in uh, the joint in the knee wants to be quite stable. And what happens is when these joints get a little bit too tight, the body will be like, Hey, I need to find movement somewhere and I can't find it in these joints. So I'm just going to make the knee a little bit more movement and a little bit less stable. And that's when you start getting a little bit of pain through there. So nine times out of 10, strength loosening up sort of the ankles and the, the hips tends to do wonders. And then on top of that is sort of a bit of strengthening stability stuff. So on top of that is uh, the glutes, which is the bum muscles and also the quads, like specifically strengthening that inside the gym or at home can, again, just do wonders taking the pressure off those joints. And those things tend to be just skipped over in the hiking and trekking world for whatever reason. And everyone just loves to work on their cardio, which is great. But I find, you know, working once or twice a week on those particular things can absolutely do wonders. And you can really fix up a lot of issues in, you know, a relatively short amount of time. Okay. So, so is this something that you need a gym for or is this stuff you can do at home? Um, definitely don't need a gym. Like, you know, a gym environment always is just really a place to make it easy for yourself because everything's set out. Um, all the weights are there. Like, and you know, it's just a, a mindset thing walking into the gym doors, you're going to work out. But 
I would say about 50 cent, 50% of the people I work with just don't like gyms in, in general. So it's very, very easy to do it um, at home. So probably one of the very, very best exercises you can do in this situation is like the simple like step down, which is um, literally standing on top of a step and then slowly lowering down your heel to the floor and then coming up. And even like if you're coming off like a, you can just Google that and there's a thousand videos for it, but even coming off like a two inch step, that can be real strain for some people just to stabilize the knee. And then from there, like you might think, hey, that's way too easy for me. I can, you know, why would I waste my time doing that? But there's probably like six or seven different exercises which you can sort of make it slightly harder and which can sort of progress through months and months. And no matter how strong you are, there's always going to be an option for you in that particular step down movement. But it's going to be so effective at strengthening up the knee, the glutes, and really taking like eventually taking a lot of pain away. I assume you've seen this word time and time again with with clients and adventures that you've worked with personally oh yeah absolutely absolutely and it's it's often that um that just eye-opening moment you see from a client and you know it might not happen immediately after a couple of weeks but you're like look just stick with it four five six weeks see how you go and there's always one day where they come in on after a weekend hike and they're like look i just had a massive descent and i didn't feel a thing in my knees and that's when they're just sold for for life on the value of that strength and stability stuff and yeah, that's probably where I get the most satisfaction out of, except wow. for when people come back from their actual adventures, you know? That is awesome. And so, and so you, you focus on the injury prevention. You also do the strengthening as well, correct? Exactly. Um, so the strengthening side, again, that's sort of um, a progression from the injury prevention side of things. And the strength stuff is really, really important for, you know, trekkers, um, hikers, mountaineers, purely for the fact that we already talked about injury prevention, but also as you get stronger muscles, um, improve something that's called your movement efficiency. So basically every step that you take, whether it's on the flat or going uphill, your body uses less energy. And, you know, I probably don't, you know, don't need to emphasize how important that is when you're doing a, you know, a whole day, a two day, a three day or up to, you know, 10, 20 day hike, like just saving that little bit of energy per step makes an absolutely massive difference. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the big problem you often see is, I'm not sure about over your side of the world, but on our side of the world, um, most of the trekking companies, so people who book onto these treks that haven't done it before, um, they'll receive this uh, pre-made program from most of the companies, which will basically say, look, go out and do X, Y, and Z walking through the week, um, do a little bit of core exercises. And they'll say, like, they'll always recommend a bit of strength, but it'll basically always be just do lots of squats and lots of lunges with your body weight, and that'll get you stronger. But, um, you know, the th developing strength is a super complex subject and I could talk about hours and hours and hours and hours. But one thing that's really important when it comes to that is something that's called uh, overload or progressive overload, which basically means the body gets really used to things very quickly and you always need to challenge it in particular ways so it keeps on adapting. And the easiest way to do that is add to add a little bit of extra load. So if you're holding weights or make the exercise a bit more difficult. But the drawback of this thing that you see time and time again is it's just saying, hey, I'm going to do 12 weeks of bodyweight squats and maybe do a few extra repetitions. And it might, you know, feel good. It might get you huffed and puffed, but it's not really doing super much for benefits of the injury prevention or the movement economy. So I've really um, seen that all the time. It makes me a little bit sad. Interesting. So, so what would you change about that program? What would you say different instead of doing those bodyweight things, maybe add something to that to make it a little more geared towards injury prevention as well as strengthening? Yeah, like absolutely. Like, you know, for example, if you wanted to stick to the home stuff, like this as simple as say you're doing 
doing your squats for four weeks and say your program recommends you to do 15 squats for three sets for four weeks. And that's absolutely fine. But then into the next four weeks, you might say, hey, I'm going to add a little bit of weight. So I might just put a backpack on my back or my front and add like, you know, five, 10 kilos in that. Um, if you don't want to add weight, you can put a little pause down the bottom of each squat and sit down the bottom for three or four seconds and then climb up. And then you could do four weeks of that and then move into another four weeks where you might just either increase the weight a little bit more or you might turn that into a little bit of a deeper squat or turn into a single legged squat like a lunge or a step up or something like that. And literally just even those tiny little changes can is enough to stimulate in the body to say, hey, this is a new exercise or this is a new stimulus. Like I don't want to keep on progressing. And it doesn't really take too much rocket science just to keep that body sort of ticking over. And those tiny changes can make a massive difference in my eyes. What kind of program or what do you say is one of the best things to do for somebody? Because here, let me start over. When you're going on a trip, you're going to be biking or hiking, trekking for, you know, sun up to sun down. How does someone that only has a few hours or less a day get prepared the, what's the most efficient way to get prepared for that lifestyle when you can't devote that much time in your normal working life to yeah to training that much? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And again, you see that time and time again. And, and in an ideal world, yeah, we would be on be able to be on our feet a couple of hours a day, you know, doing the work. But in reality, if you're not retired, you don't really have that amount of time. So the way I usually recommend with my clients, and I find work quite well for them is I usually do try and recommend one longer thing. So, you know, the multi-hour thing on the weekend when you do have a bit of time, and that's pretty standard. Everyone, most people can fit that in. Um, I usually recommend two shorter sort of strength stability sessions through the week. So you can do about 40 minutes there and still get quite a good workout and you can fit that wherever. Um, And then also, depending on time, it'll be one or two extra sessions of either another longer session but might be in a gym environment or might be, a little bit closer to home. So you might be doing your stair sessions or your hill sessions or something where it's a little bit more overloaded. So you might put on a heavy pack, um, which would be anywhere between 10 and 20% of your body weight. And then you might just do be doing some hill intervals or some stair intervals there. And as much as high intensity trainings are really, really big thing in the world and doing your burpees and your squat jumps and all of that is a massive thing in the fitness world at the moment. It's probably not the most beneficial use of a, a trekkers or a backpackers time, but doing something really specific to their sport, like going up a hill or going up a set of stairs or walking on a treadmill with a loaded pack, that can be really beneficial. Um, so I usually break it up like as a four time minimum, like that one really long one, one a little bit, uh, a little bit more broken up in intervals and a couple of strength sessions. And as a bare minimum, that tends to get people through as long as they're committed to the process. Um, and it, yeah, it is a bit of a balancing act between everyone's everyone's schedules and that, but I find that tends to work pretty well. Mm, okay. And that, now why aren't, why aren't burpees good? Cause I feel like I get a pretty good workout or I used to, I don't do them anymore. <laughs> why don't yeah. they work that well? <laughs> I think like they work well for what they're if if you have a particular goal with your burpees they work well for it and the goal for that is pure calorie expenditure so they're just tough they get you huffing and puffing they make you really sweaty you feel good when you've done them um, and they, they're quite good for weight loss if you get away with it but in my eyes for trekkers it's you know you, there's so many better things you could be doing with your time there and one of the big things with burpees is 90% of people doing them probably don't do them exactly right um, and they might be doing, you know, when they're getting their feet under them, they might be putting a bit of stress on. 
the ankles and the knees. And if you're doing right, that's perfectly fine. But as we talked about before, most trekkers tend to have pretty tight ankles already. So that puts them at a bit of risk of, you know, a little bit of pain in there. And, in, you know, I think if you use the time, say you spent five minutes of burpees or you could do five minutes of walking up a hill, in my eyes, I, I much prefer to be walking up a hill. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other reasons. And I could, again, I'll probably talk about an hour for burpees because it's a little pet peeve of mine, but, um, in all honesty, I think, yeah, you can go a better way. Yeah. I mean, I don't like doing them just because they make me huff and puff so much. So <laughs> yeah. I think that I could have been the, the very root cause of why I don't like them. <laughs> Initially not liking doing them myself and I might've turned into professional dislike, but <laughs> whatever you've got to justify. Eh? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, I can't advocate for this stuff enough. I, I feel like I suffer from a knee injury now where I, I attempted a, an, an adventure that was way too hard and I trained way too hard, way too quickly for it. And now I'm like suffer from it really has made me rethink preparedness for an adventure. Exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of people just underestimate what's involved in these types of things. And unless they've been doing it for a lifelong, like as a lifelong passion, they sort of understand, look, it's going to be tough. A lot of people might step down. Like I deal with a lot of people in their milestone birthdays. So their 40th and their 50th. And mm. a, a lot of the mindset that I see is, you know, in their youth, they were, or, you know, even their 20s and their 30s, they were big into sports. They might be big into runners or, um, you know, playing footy or something like that. But then they've realized exactly as you said, like, you know, body starts to slow down and those type of sports aren't so appropriate. So they're like, hey, I still want to challenge. I still want to be pushing myself, but something that's going to be nicer on my body. And they're like, in their minds, I think, look, trekking's perfect for this. Like it's a bit low, lower impact. I don't have to be jumping up and down. Um, but then they, that sort of mindset leads them to underestimate that, look, it does have its own particular set of demands. It can grind up the body still just as much as other sports. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just trying to sort of change that thought process to, hey, it's a really easy sport that anyone can do to something like, hey, I actually should be having to think about what I need to prepare for this so I don't ruin myself, in all honesty. Yeah. Uh, I, I see you have a post about when you get closer to the adventure itself. What, what's your advice for training as the trip gets closer? Because, uh, you know, you get excited, you know, things start happening, you know, your, your time off work or you quit your job even and you're packing and all that. What, what do you, what, what mostly happens when people get close to the trip? What do they do? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Uh, so, yeah, when people, it'll either go one or two ways. They'll either have done heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of training and they're like, look, I'm ready. I'm absolutely ready. I've done everything I can. And then they'll just say, hey, in the last couple of weeks, I'm going to completely stop and do nothing because I've got so much on my plate, as you said, quitting work, packing your bag, saying goodbye to family. And they'll either completely stop or on the other side of things, there'll be people like that really rush their training. They're like, I'm not ready at all. I'm stressing. So they'll keep on training hard and hard and hard until the end. And what tends to happen nine times out of 10 in both of those situations is, you know, three or four days before they leave, they'll get sick. Like everyone gets sick um, purely for the fact that either they've completely stopped their training and their body's like, oh, you know, it's time to rest and recover all this stress that I've been holding off. Um, now it's time just to relax and it allows itself to get sick or it's the other way on the side of things where 
it's just way too stressed out. Um, and so I usually recommend, you know, two weeks before going on a trek is when you want to be doing your longest, uh, your longest hike. So whatever, whatever max distance you're aiming for two weeks out from there. But then for the next two weeks is sort of trying to maintain a little bit of exercise to keep you in a good mindset, to stop yourself absolutely stopping, like stopping anything and maybe cutting your volume in maybe two thirds or something like that depending on the person. So you're still moving, you're still training, but it's all right. And it just gives you a little bit more leeway to, for the body to recover, but for not to completely stop and you just hit that sickness zone, in all honesty. And then I put a huge emphasis on really looking after yourself in that time. So as I said, there's going to be so much stress. So trying to do a few stress reliefs, uh, re- release techniques and maybe just a little bit of journaling at the end of the night or a little bit of stretching meditation here and there. And then really, really honing in on the nutrition, which um, is just like eating lots of veggies, in all honesty, without getting too specific, because you know, in those times, people are like, "Hey, I've got too much on my plate. I'm going to go out having dinners for socialising, or I'm going to be uh, getting takeout because I just don't have time." But again, with that change of diet, if you're not getting everything you need, again, it leads into sickness. And I think for me, the number one priority is just trying to avoid that before people go, because it's just one way to really get in the way of the enjoyment of an adventure. And if you're going up to attitude or something, it's something that's really going to cause you quite a bit of issue. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. And you, and you mentioned diet. I, I, uh, <laughs> I saw one of your posts. I, I, I know for a fact you're Australian because one of your sources of iron is kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually put that in for a bit of a joke. Cause I know I have a bit of people looking over from the US and the UK I was like you know what I'm going to throw it in there <laughs> that's hilarious man because it's like right next to the beef and the salmon and tuna and I'm like what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> there's fruits and nuts and it's just it's funny uh, I love it I love that you picked up on that that's great <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked yeah your joke worked oh man <laughs> so so yeah you know as you get closer to the trip you know you, you want to make adjustments but not lose focus um, h- how long out do you basically advise people to start training for for something that is really out of their norm normal life um i usually recommend as a minimum 16 weeks um purely for the fact that a lot of people get away with doing it a little bit uh less than that but i find that 16 weeks is a really good uh, period that if you do discover that you have a few limitations so whether you're getting a bit of pain or whether you're just not as fit as you thought or whether even you get sick or have a holiday in between there you have a bit a little bit of buffer room to fit everything you need in. Um, if it's something major and you haven't exercised at all, or even if you're trying to do it yourself and you don't really know how to be quite as efficient as you could, probably a little bit longer because you get, again, you have a little bit more leeway. But I find when people try to squeeze things in this, like in less than that or less than 12 weeks even, which is such a common thing, everything's just rushed and you know you tend to miss out on crucial elements. So you might not have enough time to develop that strength and stability and you might just have to focus on your cardiovascular output which is fine but then as we said previously you know you might be setting yourself up for a few trouble troubles on the trail so i usually say 16 weeks is a good a good number and if you start getting a little bit lower than that basically the sooner the better because you know you don't want to be stressing yourself out before the end yeah you know i agree i think the only time I ever really, really trained for a trip like really hard was about 16 week program and it was uh close enough to stay motivated and far enough away that I, the first month, especially I felt like I built a good foundation 
So, all right. So before the trip is all, it's on, it's, I've always said that the, the preparation for a trip is its own adventure because usually it's longer than the trip itself um, yeah. by a long shot. And not always, you know, if you're doing an entire through hike, that could be six, eight months and you might only have trained for say 16 weeks or less. Um, what's some important things to do for people when they're on a long trek or a long trip in general? Like what, what, what kind of things can they do at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day to make sure they still maintain that injury prevention, that strength and, uh, recover? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that question actually. Um, so I'll talk about both the start and the end of the day. Um, so okay. for the start of the day, um, what I usually recommend my clients is I know it's a bit of a pain for most people when they're on the trail and they really overlook it, but just spending five minutes at the start of the day to having a little bit of a warm up. Cause as we said during like way back when, um, usually some, some people's pains comes from a little bit of tightness in particular areas. And if you know you're tight in particular muscles, like I highly recommend taking five minutes at the start of the day, just loosen them up a little bit because the tendency for people is they'll go on the hikes, they go on the treks and the first, you know, five, 10 minutes, maybe up to an hour, depending on how bad you are, you're going to feel tight. You're going to feel stiff. Um, and even a bit sore and people just say, Hey, I'm going to warm into it. And eventually you do feel better, but your body does take a bit of a battering during that time. And it's not very nice. So I say taking five minutes at the start of the day, just to do a few little warm up exercises. So maybe a few stretches or a little bit of self massage or something like that can be really, really beneficial. And people might give you some funny looks if you're doing stretches before you start moving. But in, you know, I tell my clients just to ignore it and just do it. Oh yeah. Um, when it comes to the recovery side of things, um, there's a few things, again, like a lot of people waking up stiff, sore, tired the next day, not very enjoyable to sucks a bit of the, the fun out of the adventure. So there's a few things you can do at the end of the day, which really do add up to, you know, helping you wake up, um, so, uh, wake up fresh and also helping your muscles properly recover during the night. And particularly if you're doing a longer adventure, if you're going for, you know, 10, 20, 30 days or months at a time, like this stuff really does add up. Um, so number one is doing a little bit of a foam rolling on the muscles or rolling on the muscles, I should say. So I'm sure everyone's seen like a foam roll in a gym and they've had to play around with it. And basically that's just a nice way of helping the muscles recover, loosening up some knots, um, and reducing muscle soreness. Now, obviously no one's going to be lugging a foam roller in their packs and particularly, you know, if you're through hiking and you don't even want to bother with a collapsible one. Um, but just using a water bottle is just as effective. It might be a little bit more aggressive than a normal normal roller, but um, it can be just as great. So literally running running the bottle over, you know, your calves, your quads, um, wherever else might be sore, just for you know 30 seconds to a minute on each body part at the end of the day is absolutely amazing. And if you do it just before you go to bed, it can really help you sleep as well. Um, another thing I usually recommend is if you know you're going pulling up uh, sore and tired in particular places, is uh, the standard compression clothing is pretty effective to wear overnight. So, you know, if you're pulling up really sore legs, maybe compression uh, pants. If you're just in the shins, maybe just the socks or whatever. Um, but literally just wearing it while you sleep overnight and can just help the body just wake up a little bit less sore. If you look in all the research and that, you know, there's not a huge amount of stuff to say it helps your performance more. But um, and you know, might, might not wake up and be able to go quicker or anything like that. But it does make you feel better. And that's half the aim of the game. 
And the other side of things is really just staying on top of your food and nutrition. So at the end of the day, making sure that you've had plenty of water through the day, that you're getting some, you know, enough food at night. So plenty of carbohydrates, a reasonable amount of protein, even though that is tough on those situations, just so your body can replenish those stores and recover overnight. And I find that really helps as well. That's awesome, man. And so, uh, yeah, that's also, you know, that's something a lot of people don't think about is during the trip itself, you know, you're like, my training's over. I'm just going to chill. I'm going to hike all these miles and lay down and not move for the rest of the night and stiffen up. And that's when injury happens, man. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the trail itself is the most dangerous, probably the most dangerous part, the most uneven, the most unpredictable. Um, and so that's where you really need to be on top of your game with injury prevention. 100%. You're never going to be able to simulate that situation in your training unless you are actually out in the trail in the rain doing this. But trying to do things that at least if that happens on the trail, you've minimized the chances of that escalating to something a little bit worse is, you know, a big, uh, a big important point, I think. Hmm. And is there anything you suggest after a trip? Well, what I usually recommend to to my people is before they get on the beers or get on the wine or whatever, literally taking 10 minutes um, to have a roll, have a stretch um, before they completely stiffen up and do nothing can do a bit of a, a bit of good. And then also on the next day when you're done, probably the most important thing is just to keep on moving. Um, so not stop completely and whether you go for a swim, go for a walk in a pool or just walk around the neighborhood or even a gentle cycle in a gym or something. Um, that can be really, really, really effective at just stopping you feeling rubbish the next few days and stopping you absolutely tightening up. Um, and then also, you know, the standard things of, you know, eat lots, drink lots, make sure you get plenty of sleep. Um, you know, go out and get a massage if you really know you're going to be sore. All those things that like everyone knows, but you probably just keep it in the back of your head and you really, really ignore. But maybe before you start on the trek, I usually tell my, um, my clients that, just write down what you are going to do because at the end of the day, when you're done, you're never going to do it unless it's written down and in front of you. Um, it's just, you know, as good intentions as you have, you're just going to completely ignore it. So having a little preset plan, is probably the most effective thing in my eyes. Yeah, that is really important. Um, man, it seems so, I don't know. I'm just someone that doesn't see the value of little things like that until I do it myself. And I totally agree. I'm like, what is writing this down going to do? But really, <laughs> yeah. it's like it, it takes it from this vague concept and puts it on paper. That, and when you see, then it's like almost it's it's touching a bunch of different senses. It's not just a thought. You can see it. You can touch it on the paper. And, and it's like it, it creates this, I don't know, it's this weird psychological effect where it comes out of your head onto something and then that's like the first, it's like a seed that's starting to germinate. It's like, oh, there it is starting to happen right there outside of my head. You know what I mean? Because that's all yeah, these I, trips are. They start out as ideas and then it's up to you to make them happen. Um, but yeah, that, that's a really good point. I'm glad you said that. Like I use that like for for my clients going up um, up to altitude. They, you know, uh, hydration is a big important thing up there. And like most people, like they know it's important, but they always forget to drink. So I use exactly that same thing and I'll either get them to write a note and put it in their pocket or just write a W on their hand. And even if they have a glove on, they never see that W. It's whatever, some very strange psychological thing of just putting it out in the world in the paper on your hand. It just gives that trigger. 
And um, it's just those tiny, simple things which can really make a big difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and now that's also the case um, for mental preparedness. Do you, do you do anything for your clients to, to help them just prepare like for the difficulty of the trail and the experience? Yeah, depending on where they're going and what they're expecting, it'll have a few different things. So if they, for example, they're going like a big one over our side of the world is Kokoda, which is um, this uh, one over in Papua New Guinea. I think it's about a 10-day trek, really hilly, really rainy, really tropical, really muddy. Um, so we uh, usually recommend just trying to get out, like find a day that's raining and actually get out and walk in the rain because you know, you're going to hate it when it's happening, but it's, you can't get used to it unless you actually do it. So I really try to make a point of that for people in a tropical environment to actually get out and experience, you know, the slipperiness, the falls, the stumbles, the just uncomfortableness, if you're lucky, the mosquitoes and all that, and try to get, um, get yourself right deep in that situation. The same thing is if you're going to do a, a mountain summit and like, particularly for my Kilimanjaro clients is, you know, most people wake up before the sunrise and have to walk for anywhere between 10 and 17 hours in that day, that final day. And there's nothing that's going to prepare you for um, waking up tired, cold and in the dark and having to hike than actually doing it. So you usually recommend, oh. hey, get up at 2 a.m. or whatever you need to do, put your TED torch on and go do a trail, which, you know, obviously not in the middle of nowhere where no one's going to find you if you fall, but something that's relatively close but still quite uh, quite undulating and quite difficult. And so you can sort of get your head around, look, this is going to suck. This isn't going to be quite as much fun as strolling around in a lovely sunshine, but uh, that gets them used to it. And then finally, it's like if someone has really never been uh, part of one of these slogs and when they're going to have to be walking 12 hours a day or 15 or 17 or even 20, depending on where you are, is once in a while, not very often, but where once in a while is just putting them through something really ridiculous. So... Some people call them a grind session, um, which is basically something that's just really simple. So it might be um, pushing a sled in a gym. It might be um, walking up and down on soft sand. It might be going up and down a hill, but just doing something that's really low risk of injury, but it's just, but you do it for a very, very long amount of time. So something like, you know, you might do seven, eight, nine hours of the exact same thing and it's not much fun. It's really pretty boring in all honesty, but it's that absolute slog and that repetitiveness and just finding that happy place within your thoughts, which everyone's got to find on the trail in some way and just trying to simulate like that there while you're at home. So you can say, hey, I actually know how to deal with that sort of, you know, insanity in my mind when I'm going and going and going. Um, I've been there and then, you know, hopefully it trans uh, translates a bit to while you're actually in the situation, wherever you may be. That, that's really good. You you said that slog and, and finding your happy place. I I have a friend that he's like a professional athlete and guide, and he's crazy. And he will he will leave his home at midnight every Wednesday and bike for twenty four hours until the next midnight <laughs> every Wednesday wow. when he's home and in in uh not on in the adventure and. I'm just like, could you imagine staying up first of all till midnight and then, or getting some sleep and then going and then knowing you have to bike all night, all the next day and then halfway through the next night. And I, I, and he has kids and he'd like had to schedule it all out. And I just think, 
man, forget that. <laughs> like, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's incredible. But my gosh, like it takes a, a definitely a very committed soul to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's unbelievable. And I just like, oh, it just makes me sick just thinking about it. But I will say, like you said, you know, when when you are out there, it's just slogging for hours. And if it's day after day of that, you you do find this place in your mind that's, um, or you enjoy kind of just meandering in your mind. I remember having just a terrible time in the rain on a bike trip for like a week. And then I remember just being excited to get going every morning because it just, it, it, it was hours of movement and you could just drift off into like childhood memories or, or fantasies of, of like what you imagine your life to be like in 20 years or whatever you wanted. It was almost like reading a book and you just kind of got lost in it. And it was, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, I've never absolutely. experienced anything anything like that outside of an adventure. No, exactly, and it's it's, it's an amazing place to find like within yourself, I suppose, and and it's yeah, there's nothing quite like it, is there? No, it's it's fantastic, man. So that is, yeah, this is really cool. This is really cool stuff. Wow. So, um, man, I'm trying to think. What else is there? Anything else you you feel like is important for what you do and what you want to share? Um, I would say probably one of the big things I try to hammer into the people that listen to me online is just trying to put like a bit of structure into what you're doing. Like no matter like, you know, how much time you have during the week or what exercise you're doing, whether you just want to stick on the trail or you want to incorporate the gym or it doesn't really matter what you're actually doing, but putting a little bit of structure in all your training goes an ab- absolutely amazing way. Like for example, like with your trek training, like I usually... The, the common thing that I see so many, so many people doing is they'll say, look, I need to hit the trail. Um, I'm going to get ready for this. So every single weekend or whenever they just go out and just hit a random trail, which looks good to them. And while that's like, you know, good and it can like definitely get you fit. If you put a little bit of thought behind the process and planned it out a little bit in advance, it can go a huge way. So what I usually say to people is if you know you have an adventure coming up, um, and you know exactly what you're tracking and what's going on, get out your calendar and just have a sit down and think, what can I fit in my week and my months? When can I actually go hiking and when I, can I commit to that? And then sort of, as I said earlier, two weeks before you head off, you sort of plan your longer session. So have a little look at the local trails or where you might go train on a mountain or whatever. Schedule that in and say, look, no matter what's happening in my life, two weeks out, I'm doing this. And then just work backwards in the calendar until you're where you are and slowly work from long distance and tough duration all the way down to probably your easiest trek. And literally spending half an hour, an hour doing that and working out in your calendar can put that sort of progression into your training, which we were talking about earlier, and make sure that you're constantly stressing the body, you're doing it in a safe way so you're not just going into this huge distance when you're not ready. And even that tiniest little change can bring incredible results to people. So, yeah, I'd like to... I'm happy you gave me that chance because I really love talking about that. And I think anyone can apply that even if they don't want to, you know, work with anyone else or work with a team or whatever. Like that's such a simple thing that people can do but can make all the difference. Wow. Yeah. Do you have an example of of a client or you personally that did that and and what you were able to accomplish with that process? Oh, like um, usually like I do that with the majority of my clients. So, um, you know, we'll just, you know, I'll send them out to do it by themselves because, you know, everyone's got to research their trip and they've got to figure out how long their distance is on their longest day and, and yada, yada, yada. So 
But I do that in the majority of my clients. And you can just see after about, as I said, about six, eight weeks of them following that plan and their own, you know, that progression going up and up and up, they'll come to a point where they're like, look, this is feeling so much easier. And this is like almost like these distances that are almost double that I started as they probably feel just as tough as the first ones. Like, you know, it's all getting so much better. And they might not say it in those words, but it, it always happens at a point. And um, time and time again, you just see it. And it's just that confidence, which they're sort of strutting around internally a little bit. And they're excited to hit the trail because they know they're not going to be dragging their feet up the hills. And they know they're not going to be like hating that extra hour, which they've thrown themselves into. And you can always see that switch when they find that place. And yeah, it's really amazing to see. That is really cool. Speaking of which, what's what's one of the what's one of the most amazing experiences you've ever seen one of your clients do? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Um, oh, big question. Um, I think probably one of the most amazing ones I saw was um, a lady called Mel. So she was, she came to me uh, last year, two years ago. Yeah, about two years ago. And she was going up to Everest Base Camp. And she had a range of different um, injuries, like lifelong injuries and problems. So she, a lot of her training uh, was, she wasn't, she couldn't do anymore, um, basically. And she'd been relatively active when she was younger, but she couldn't do it anymore. Stuff in the gym, she was very, very limited because she had quite a few uh, joint issues and that. But she came to see me and she's like, look, I've always wanted to go up to Everest Base Camp. My family don't want me to go there. They're worried that I'm not going to make it. Um, you know, can you help me? And I was like, yep, sweet. Like, you know, we're going to take you through the program. We'll take care of you. Do X, Y, and Z. Get yourself ready. And about, she probably saw me uh, about 15 weeks out. And I think after five weeks of training, she got the flu. And then she got this like really bad um, chest infection, which hung around for ages. And so again, like she was out for maybe five or six weeks. Um, you know, all her friends and family were saying, look, don't do it. Like, don't go up to attitude. It's going to be really scary, this and that. Um, and we had to sit down and we're like, look, do you still want to do it? She was like, yes. I was like, do you really think you can, are you fit enough to train again? She was like, yes. Um, so we took her through a very, very lower intensity program. We sort of worked on more doing things that are going to fit around her illness and everything and we just and she was just trusted the process and got through and two weeks out she was still pretty nervous um she got a little bit sick again but she was like look i'm gonna give it a go we gave her all the strategies to work up at attitude the things are gonna help with her and then yeah then she basically made it so she went off and she took her own time she didn't chase anyone else um she was really happy just to rest whenever she needed she did all the right things and she got up there and after all that doubt from herself but also her surrounding family and everything it was really amazing to see. So I was absolutely stoked she did that because it was such a lifelong milestone and she probably wouldn't have attempted it again in all honesty if she hadn't made it. So that was, that was probably the biggest moment, I think. Wow, it's got to feel good for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is so cool, man. And, and even for her, I would love to go back to my family and be like, I did it. Now what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh man, that's that's honestly that's probably my only form of motivation. Half the time is when I have an idea for a trip and someone says you can't do it, and I'm like, okay, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna do yeah, it now. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> See me in six months. 
That's yeah, usually the it. best gift people can give you is say, nah, you can't do that. <laughs> but, exactly. <laughs> always look on the bright side, hey? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is really cool. That is awesome. So, so why, don't you, why don't you tell us um, about your uh, online summit program? Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically, yeah, as I've been saying, I work with hikers, trekkers, mountaineers um, doing their adventures, and I look at preparing them physically and mentally for what they're going on. I found quite early on that um, – you know, what I was offering in Sydney was quite effective and it was working for a lot, a lot of people, but that was only for Sydney siders. And there was quite a bit, you know, there's so many people in the world who needed more help. So I started offering this online program, um, which runs through exactly the same principles as what I do um, in person, but it's all delivered online through a training app and through training videos and uh, through weekly coaching calls. Um, what's different behind it than most of the stuff that's out there is most things you can buy on the internet are just sort of these preset programs and you'll buy them for a couple hundred dollars and they'll say, do 16 weeks of this, um, it'll get you to here. But, you know, that'll work in the best case scenario. But if you do have any issues or, you know, do you do have personal concerns or anything like that, I don't really think they're very effective. And I think, you know, it can do a lot better. So the week, the personal training I offer is sort of a weekly, week by week pro- process. So I'll give you the program for the week. We'll have a chat on the phone each week and we'll just make sure we stay in constant, constant contact to get you fit, strong, resilient, or whatever you may need for your adventure. Um, and I find we've had quite a few people come through it now. It's still a relatively new service, but quite a few people come through. And yeah, it's, it's really, really great. And we've seen some great success stories coming out of it. So if anyone obviously is interested in that, you can find me on the uh, summitstrength.com.au website. Um, but yeah, I hope, uh, hope you consider it. <laughs> if it's the difference between success or not, probably going to be worth it you know what i mean and and training (laughs) is absolutely the difference for most people between completing the trip successfully and not 100 percent. and to have someone i man that's so funny you say that i just reached out to my best friend today he is like the most disciplined person and i realized everything i've ever done that was that i consider myself like proud of he was the one with me. Like he was the one that was, he's the disciplined one that pushed me. And like without him and people like him in this world to motivate, I have a lot of ideas, but man, it is hard for me to come through on one unless I'm surrounded (laughs) by people who are like push me to do it. Um, And then the feeling of just, oh, the satisfaction of doing it is just like nothing. You can't explain it. And when you have this goal and, and you have someone like you that can, be there reminding you every day, hey, do this, do this, do this. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And then you complete it. Holy cow, there's there's nothing in the world that's better. Exactly, exactly. And I always say if, you know, if you're putting yourself out here for this like once in a lifetime adventure, you, in all honesty, you want to be doing everything you can to make sure you're successful and you enjoy it. Because more than likely, if it's a massive challenge for yourself and you don't do it, nine times out of 10, you're probably not going to go back and try it again. So, yeah. um, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, well, yeah. So Rowan, thanks so much, man, for being on. Is, is there anything else you'd like to plug or, or anything you'd like to share? Um, no, look, I think, I guess on the website as well, there's, you know, I run a standard blog with a whole bunch of stuff about training for trekking, training for attitude and all of that. Um, one of the big things I'm trying to do at the moment is just trying to get as much free information out there as possible. I feel like the stuff out there at the moment on these subjects is probably not very good in all honesty. So I'm just trying to pump out a lot of um, free content, 
which you can find on the website or on the Facebook page. Um, so yeah, if you want to have a look through, get a few ideas for your training and all that, you're more than helping, welcome to help yourselves. But um, thank you so much for having me on, Mason. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, man. And we'll link everything the, everything about you in these show notes. And uh, so you'll have backlinks for that and people will be able to find you easily. Fantastic. That sounds yeah. great, mate. All right. Well, Rowan, man, thanks so much for being on it. Thanks for doing what you're doing and changing people's lives. No, I appreciate it, mate. It's been um, an absolute pleasure to be on here. I'm looking forward to listening to some more of your podcast soon. Cool. All right. All right. We'll talk soon, man. Uh, take it easy, mate. Yes, sir. Bye. All right. See ya. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.